Second Chronicles chapter 20. We um, started this story last week, and um, there'll be a little bit of recap in there, but you may want to just go check out the podcast, uh, kind of get the whole idea. Um, here's kind of the situation. Um, King Jehoshaphat gets word that there are three, uh, three armies coming to, um, to Jerusalem to attack them, and... Uh, and so his instant reaction, if you were in charge of all these people and you were the king, to find out not just one army but three were coming after you, uh, he was afraid. And um, But instead of just sitting in his fear, he, he set his eyes on the Lord. He declared a fast for the entire nation, gathered everyone together. And um, so they're fasting and they're praying. And we kind of went through his, his prayer uh, last week. Um, so you got the whole nation gathered together on the brink of war with three different armies, and the leader of the nation has declared this fast, and, and his prayer um, pretty much, uh, I kind of just broke it down into sort of five different aspects. He starts off by basically just declaring who, who God is, and then moves into uh, what God has done, and then kind of lays out this is the circumstance that we're in, and then this is kind of how we feel about it. And then he concludes the prayer by saying, uh, we have no idea what to do, but we're looking to you. Our, our eyes are, are set on you. And we kind of talked about uh, when, when that's the uh, kind of the, the arc of our prayers, when it starts with, with who God is and what he has done, and then this is kind of what's going on, and this is how we feel about it, and then you just kind of get to where you just wait. Uh, what, a, what a healthy way of praying that is. Uh, it looks a lot like the Lord's Prayer. It looks a lot like uh, the way that David wrote Psalms. It looks a lot like the way that Paul wrote uh, his prayers and his letters. Um, it's, there's just something powerful about it. Instead of starting in the middle of saying, this, this, is, this is what's going on and this is how I feel about it, now you need to fix it. Uh, when we start with who he is and what he's done, by the time we get to the circumstances and our emotions involved, uh, they're, they're just kind of different in light of just the, the magnitude of who God is. Um, and so kind of where we left things last week was uh, he's gathered everyone, he's prayed this prayer, and then he's, um, he's said like that, that last point, saying we have no idea what to do, but our, our eyes are on you. Uh, so we'll pick up in verse 13. It says, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jahaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jerul. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. 
Okay? That's a prophet saying that. That's the mouth, um, the mouthpiece of God speaking through this person to his people, saying, you're going to need to show up for the battle, but the battle's not yours, it's his. So show up and watch him deliver you. Um, verse 18, Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Um, and so we kind of talked about I mean, how, how great would that be if, if every time you prayed and every time our prayers kind of followed that, that arc and we get down to that point and we're just listening to him, what if every single time he spoke to us? Uh, that would be awesome. But that's not, that's not always how it works. And regardless of the response, whether, whether um, he gives us specific instruction or whether he gives us silence as a response, which usually just means like, just, just hang tight. Keep asking. Stay faithful. Um, no matter what the response, uh, our, our response uh, in the midst of that should be to continue on in faithfulness and obedience, a life of worship before him. And so, um, but in this case, they got an answer right away. And a uh, pretty awesome answer but probably one that was a little nerve-wracking. You know, some guy stands up and says, uh, go to the battle, but you won't have to fight it. Uh, I, don't know. I don't know if I'd go with him, but, uh, but they did. And uh, verse 20 says, um, And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. Now, just a quick pause right there. Um, they, didn't, they didn't delay in their obedience. I think that's, that's, I think that's a significant thing. That when God, when He, when He responds in such a way where He, and He lets us know, uh, what we need to do, what needs to happen, we're sensing exactly what He's doing, and you just, you just know, this is what I've been praying for, and He told me, there's really no need to, to delay in that. But a lot of times we do, and maybe because, because, uh, putting that into action, that obedience, it might, it may be a little terrifying to us. I mean, their obedience required them walking into uh, a battle where there are three different armies coming to kill them. Maybe your obedience requires something that, that you're not, maybe you're not exactly thrilled about it or you're not really looking forward to it and it's really like a struggle uh, for all of us. When the Lord says to go, we, we go. And so if you're here tonight and you know what the Lord wants you to do but you're just for some reason like kind of holding back from pulling the trigger, don't, don't wait. Just don't wait. And you know what he's telling us, telling you to do. Do it. They got up early. Uh, they didn't wait till late in the afternoon to go. They got up early. Um, it says, and when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, "Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed." And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. Okay, that would be the, basically the worship leaders, uh, the Levites. Um, uh, it says he appointed them, and, and as they went before the army, they said, give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay? So Jehoshaphat puts the worship leaders at the front of the army. Okay? So um, they're the ones, that they're responsible for all aspects of corporate worship in Israel. And he puts all those priests at the front. He doesn't put the, he doesn't put the, like the, the gladiator types and then put the, 
the, the warriors and put the biggest guys, the toughest guys, the military strategists. He puts the worship leaders at the front and sends them out. And they're singing, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And look at, look at verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Okay? So, look at the, I love the details of scripture in verse 22. When they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men, against the armies. When they began to sing in praise. So, if this were a film, okay, puts the Levites at the front and like literally as they're singing, it cuts to where the armies are waiting and they all start to fight each other at the exact same moment that the, that the Levites started to sing. This is another sidebar. Um, Stuff happens when the people of God begin to sing. There's something, like there's just something going on. Most of the time, things that we cannot see are happening when we, like when our voices are united together. Um, when we are, when, if all of us in this room began to pray, we would be praying different things. Um, as you're listening to me talk, you're all in and out of paying attention. Uh, you're, you're, there are different things that are standing out to you. I say something, it sends you on a rabbit trail or whatever. We're kind of all over the place. But when the people of God stand up and start to sing, I am not the same. I'm a new creation. I'm not the same anymore. Never once did you leave us on our own. Every step we're breathing in your grace. Evermore we'll be breathing out your praise. When we're singing those thoughts, there's a unity that exists and I'm telling you, there's something going on. They didn't know that as they began to sing, the ambush was being set. But I promise you, when we begin to sing, their ambush is being set against the lies that we hear all the time, against the, the struggles that we have, against our, our emotional reactions to the circumstances we have going on. There's just something that happens. You may not feel it. You may not like hear it necessarily, but... but in, in a realm that we that maybe is not always tangible, there's warfare going on. And so when we sing, that's that's why that's why we sing. We're praising him. We're focusing on him. And there's there's stuff happening. There's years ago, 10, 12 years ago now, I guess. Uh, we were at this camp, and um, we were I was like one of the worship leaders or whatever, and. We were going through the set list, you know, kind of like tonight, and um, the speaker hadn't come up yet. And uh, at one point, at, at that time, I was a little more like kind of in my own world than I, as a worship leader, uh, which, is, which is not is not good. Like you want to be looking at the crowd, interacting with the crowd, leading the room. And I I wasn't a very good leader. I was kind of like in my own little bubble or whatever. And so we're rolling rolling along, and uh, I open my eyes, and half the people in the room are gone. Like, maybe raptured. I don't know. Like, it was like, just one of those moments where I really was like, where, where did all the teenagers go? Um, and, uh, and so I'm looking around and I'm kind of trying to figure out what to do. And the guy that's the camp pastor comes up and he whispers in my ear. He says, uh, 
He said, um, half the camp's getting saved. Keep playing. And my first thought was, during the music? You know, like, we get saved during the music. That's the, isn't that the invitation? That's the preacher comes up. He brings them down the aisle and all that kind of stuff. I was just like really just confused. And sure enough, I started looking around and there were kids grabbing the hand of their friend and like they would just, they would go outside. And there were kids that were basically saying like, I want to know Jesus right now. I'm not waiting past this moment. You tell me about him. And all the adults were out counselors. People were like praying all over the place in the room. It was just so weird. And everybody was like, just keep playing, keep playing. So we kept playing and, uh, it was, I've just, I've just never seen anything like that before. Because most of us don't really think that, like, oh, during the music, there's stuff going on. There's stuff going on. We've been criticized over the years, like, oh, we sing, we sing too much, our services are too long, and all this kind of stuff, or whatever, but we're gonna, we're gonna sing. We're gonna do that. We're gonna respond. We're gonna, we're gonna unify ourselves in that way because it's, it's powerful. We won't sing a hundred songs a night. But, but we're, we're gonna sing because there's just more going on. Um, okay, end of that sidebar. Uh, I think that's the last sidebar, I think. We'll see. Um, so, so they're singing and the three armies all turn on each other and they all kill each other. I, that's awesome. Right there. I mean, think about that. So, the people of Judah are Worship leaders at the front, they're marching, marching to battle, marching to battle, and then they show up, and there's what it says, verse 24. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, okay, that's like the, like an overlook point, um, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found, uh, they found among them in great number, Goods, clothing, and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. There were three days uh, in taking the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, where they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. Um, I'm going to keep reading, but I didn't tell Nate to put the verses in. But here, let me just read the rest. They, they came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God, listen to this, came on all the kingdoms of the, of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Okay? So it took them three days to walk through and to take all the like swords and random jewelry and like anything that was of value, uh, that the spoils of, of all the bodies there. It took them three days for this whole army to go through and take all this stuff up. They showed up and everybody was dead. Just like God told them. The prophet said, you need to, you'll, you need to show up, but you won't have to fight. Because this battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. Now, so what does this have to do with, with prayer? Um, and I kind of just, I just pulled out like three, three things. So if you're a note taker, I always like to tell you this is your night. There's three bullet points. And I don't always get bullet points. So there you go. Um, but in a story like this, and in all the stories of scripture, there's something that's really, really clear about prayer. And it's this. This is not the first point. This is the, the overall point. 
I get in trouble when I say, yeah, all right. This is the overall point, is that, that prayer changes everything. Prayer absolutely changes everything. This story is what it is because Jehoshaphat set his eyes on the Lord and declared a fast for the entire kingdom and went before the Lord and prayed. And the Lord called him and answered. <laughs> prayer, prayer changes everything. So let me give you, let me give you the, the three. And I've debated so much the order of these, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and go in this order. Uh, prayer changes, prayer changes the community. Okay? Uh, prayer changes, uh, the, the situation. And, uh, and prayer changes us. Those, those are the three. Okay? When I say prayer changes the community, here's, this is kind of what, I, where I'm going with that. After this went down, um, the nations around them heard about it. Okay. I mean, it kind of implies that they're like, hey, did you hear, hear what happened uh, in Israel? God killed everybody on their behalf. He told them they weren't going to have to fight, and they showed up and they didn't have to fight. And it took them three days to collect everything. That happened because the community got together, the community of Israel got together, and they fasted and they prayed. And that fasting and that prayer that went on um, gave them gave them this this courageous obedience that led them to go the twelve miles to the battle site. It it changed them. When the nation gets together and fasts and prays, and the Lord speaks. And they have that courageous sense of obedience to go forward with it. The Lord does stuff. And the, and the nations hear about it. So it changes the community of Israel and it changes the surrounding communities. We see that all, all throughout Scripture. God changes His people and then through the change in His people, He changes other people. And through the change in those people, He changes other people. That's, that's how it works. When communities pray, it's one of the the most abused verses in the Bible. It's Second Chronicles seven fourteen. You know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I'll heal, hear from heaven, heal their land, all this stuff. That verse, is, like I said, it's used in a lot of different contexts. But one thing that you cannot deny: God says, if my people are are humble and they pray, um, I hear them and I respond to them. That's that's not a you know, that's that's a promise. You know? We're not throwing these throwing prayers up, just you know, hoping that that God kind of hears them, hoping that they make it there, hoping our prayers get off the ground and up to heaven, like heaven's up. You know, He's listening. So here we are as a church, about to enter into like thirty days of concentrated prayer. We we have to believe that God's going to change us as a church family. It, it will happen. Prayer changes the community. There are probably things about being a part of this community. I know, I know everybody here is not a part of this community, but I'm going to treat you like you are tonight. 
I know probably being a part of this church family or wherever you are a part of a church family, it's probably frustrating at times, you know. Sometimes you love it and sometimes you don't love it so much and, you know, whatever. But when, when the people come together, kind of like when they sing, stuff happens. When people pray, stuff happens. And so we don't do 30 days of prayer just to do it because it's that time of year. This, is, this makes a difference. So prayer changes everything. The first thing, it changes the community and beyond. The second thing uh, is that is that it, it changes changes the like the current situation that we're that we're facing. Okay, now this this is going to be a little a little weird, so just kind of bear with me a little bit. Um, we don't know what would have happened if Jehoshaphat had not uh, set his face on the Lord, declared a fast, prayed what he did, all that kind of stuff. We don't really know. And so, I think kind of the, what I'm implying here could be phrased like this. You could ask me, are you saying that because he prayed, the armies all fought each other and they showed up and didn't have to do that? Like, all that went down because of what he did and because of what the nation did. And I would say yes. Even though we don't know that from, like, explicitly, we don't really know that. And, and here's, here's what makes me what, what makes me believe this? Um, a, a real common question in, among Christians is, do our prayers, do they change God's mind? You know? Like we want to know, okay, why, why am I praying? Because if I'm praying for something to happen and begging God to happen, um, but yet He is sovereign and unchanging, then what's the point of me asking Him that in the first place? So does prayer change God's mind or does it not change God's mind? So when someone asks me that, uh, I do that annoying thing by asking another question, uh, which is, I know it's annoying, but you have to clarify. So my response is always, okay, what do you mean by does he change his mind? There's, there's kind of two, two ways of thinking of changing his mind. There's one way of uh, where you're thinking along the lines of, can I twist God's arm and convince him to do something that he probably doesn't really want to do? If that's what you mean by does God change his mind, then I would say no. He doesn't change his mind. If that's what, what you're meaning. But if, if you're meaning does God change his mind in the sense of does God sometimes change direction or change his course of action based on the, the faith-filled pleas of his children, then I would say yes. Sometimes God does change his mind. And, and, but we see it in scripture. Uh, in Exodus 32, um, you have the, Moses has gone up on the mountain, you know, to receive the Ten Commandments, and all the Israelites are down there, and they, they decide to, like, put all their, all their gold and all this kind of stuff, they melt it down, and make a big cow, you know, and they worship this idol, and, uh, God doesn't like that at all. And so, he tells Moses, like, I'm just, I'm gonna smoke them. That's it. That's my paraphrase. Uh, and, and Moses says, hold up, hold up, hold up. What about this? What about this? What about the promise that you made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? Please, please don't do that. And it says, God 
didn't do what he said he was going to do. He responded to the prayer of Moses. In uh, Isaiah, let me make sure I say this right. Um, that's the wrong list. Yeah, Isaiah 38. King Hezekiah, he's uh, on his deathbed. This prophet comes and says, hey, the Lord told me that you need to get your affairs in order because you're, you're not going to recover from the sickness. You're going to die. Hezekiah turns to the Lord in prayer and basically begs for his life. And even though the Lord had told, had sent word through the prophet to him that he was going to die, um, Hezekiah says, I've been faithful, you know, please extend my life. And God changes his mind and gives him 15 more years, actually. Pretty good extension. Book of Jonah. Um, he sends Jonah to Nineveh to like tell them that they need to repent. And uh, he says, that, you know, Repent or else I'm, I'm going to smoke you. And uh, people in Nineveh, they repent. And so God says, all right, I'm not going to do that now. And so what, is, what, what, is that, what does that mean like for us right now? Okay? Um, prayer, prayer changes the, the current situation of what's going on. In, in each of those three examples I just gave, um, God is, like, we have to remember that God responds to the prayers of His people, and His response is to the, to the current situation that's going on, like right now. Alright? So, the, go back to, uh, the Israelites at the, at the base of the mountain, and they're worshiping this, this idol. The current situation was, um, idol worship. And His response to that was, it's, you're done. Moses comes in, and by his prayer, his request to the Lord, that prayer changed the current situation. It became different. Hezekiah was going to die, and in his prayer, he changed the current situation. So God responded to the new current situation. With Jonah and Nineveh, same thing, he responded to the current situation. And so I believe that without knowing what God was going to do before Jehoshaphat prayed and declared the fast, I believe that God responded to that current situation, which was a nation gathered together, fasting and praying, looking to the Lord, saying, we have no idea what to do, but our eyes are on you. I believe he responded to them by saying, I'm about to just absolutely blow your minds. And hundreds and hundreds of years later, people are going to be gathered together talking about this story, talking about how absolutely insane it is. Because he responds to what's going on right now. He doesn't always do that. He maintains his sovereignty. He maintains his un- unchangeable uh, nature. I mean, he, un- he maintains all that stuff. But at the same time, he responds. Think of, it, think of, it, think of him like a parent. If you, have a, if you have a dad and he has three kids and they come to him and they say, Dad, can we play with this loaded gun? He's going to say, no, you cannot play with that loaded gun. And no matter how much they beg and how much they plead with him, and no matter how convincing they can be, he's not going to say, okay, here's the loaded gun. This is not going to happen. Take the same dad, same three kids, and they say, dad, can we set up a lemonade stand in the front yard? Different, different current situation. So maybe dad says, okay, well, what do you want to, 
Why do you want to do that? And they say, we want to make money. What are you going to do with your money? Buy whatever I want. That's a different situation. Different response. Different situation to can we play the loaded gun. Same, same dad, same kids. Same request. Can we set up a lemonade stand in the front yard? Why do you want to do that? We want to make money. What are you going to do with the money? We're going to give it to that offering at church for those kids that hope a lot. Different. Different current situation than the previous two. So different response from that. So when, when you're saying, does, is God going to change his mind? There's going to be, like, he's going to consider everything that's going on in that moment. Motives. The big picture, his sovereignty, what's for your good, and consider all those things. But when the people of God pray, they, they change the current situation. And I, and I want us so, like, so badly to, to keep that in mind, um, not just for 30 days of prayer, I mean, all the time. That if you're, if you're praying for, you know, that, for someone that you know or someone that you love, just to come and, and to, to know the grace and love of Jesus. I mean, to, to enter into that, like, that relationship with Him. Um, you have that person, but you've never, you've never, like, interceded for them. You've never prayed for them. Think about it in these terms. At this point, the situation looks, it looks like this. And you're not in it. And you're not praying for them. So enter into that situation, and you change the game when you do that. you're wanting direction in your life and you're not sure what to do and you haven't been praying about it, then God is responding to this situation that involves no prayer, no abiding, no listening, no dependence. Enter that situation and begin to, like, to pray in faith, believing, like just believing that he, he knows what's best for you. He has a plan for your life. You change the situation. Now, please don't, don't hear me saying that even in that, we can twist his arm into acting. I'm not saying that at all. And there are times when we're going to pray for things and we're going to just want it with all of our heart and he's still going to say no because sometimes it's a loaded gun and we're little kids and we think, we think that's what we need, but he knows better. And so sometimes he's just going to shut things down. And you just need to be ready, ready for that. Because a part of that, of, of trusting him, a part of changing that game, just acknowledging the fact that he's God and we're not. And part of that faith is us just believing that whatever he says to us is going to be best. As bad as sometimes we want to, we want things to happen that that aren't good for us. Um, he just he know he knows he knows better than we do. So prayer changes the current situation. And, and I hope, I hope that that is encouraging to you. I know it brings up a ton of questions, and it's just one of those things that, I mean, the smartest theologians on the planet just debate about it back and forth. And so, like, there's no way that we're going to, like, solve every issue here tonight. Um, but think about Moses. Think about Hezekiah. Think about Nineveh. And then think about your current situation or whatever it is that you're praying for. Um, if you're not praying, then you're not even trying to, to change the game. So I hope that pushes us forward a little bit.
Even, even with the questions and uncertainties and what about this and all the, the holes in the argument that Josh presented tonight, just, just let it push you forward. The prayer changes everything. It changes the community. It changes the current situation. The third thing is that it, it changes you. It changes me. Um, it changes us. Uh, if you recall, in chapter 20, you don't have to look at it or turn to it, but when Jehoshaphat received word of the armies coming, verse 3, it says, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, claimed to fast. He was afraid in verse 3. Then in verse uh, 20, he says, Hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. So somewhere between uh, verse 3 and verse 20, uh, he goes from being terrified to being so full of faith that he's willing to like drag his entire nation into it with him. What, what's in between 3 and 20? Him fasting and praying. You can't tell me that had nothing to do with it. You can't tell me that. It absolutely brought him from being a person of fear to a person who absolutely believes and is completely full of faith. Prayer, it changes us. It changes us in, in the most important ways that we can be changed. I think that if we look at the, we look at the way that, that prayer arc, you know, that, those kind of five columns or whatever like we talked about last week, the way that he prayed and as he fasted, I think he went from being a, a person of fear to, be, to being a person of just absolute belief and faith. Um, that's because it reconnected him to what is true. And that's what, that's what happens when we pray. When we are afraid, we're, we're completely attached to things that are lies. We lose sight of who our God is and what He has done. We lose sight of the things that we were singing about tonight. We lose sight of, of the things that Jehoshaphat prayed about. So in prayer, we let go of things that are false and we grab onto things that are true. And you've probably been there if you, th- if you, if you take time to really think about it. If something happens, it completely rocks your world, and then, and, but you are faithful and you are obedient, and it brings you from like, I don't know what to do, all the way to this place of being like, it's really not a big deal. My sovereign God loves me, knows me, has a plan for me. He'll lead me through this. You've probably been, been through that process before. What's amazing about prayer is that we don't have to just cross our fingers and hope that that process is, is kind of a part of our experience. In prayer, Jesus says, once you enter into that process of me taking you from being a wreck all the way to being completely like on like the solid rock, we don't have to just cross our fingers and be like, man, I really, I really hope that this is the way this goes for me. God pretty much guarantees that it will go in this good direction if we are faithful and we are obedient. And so why, why wouldn't we pray about stuff? You know, I just, it, when you think about those terms, you're like, man, I, talk about like missing out on abundant life when we are prayerless about things. 
And so if, if you and I, like if we want the, the process of sanctification, of maturing in Christ, of, be, of becoming like Him, uh, we want that discipleship to move forward, we want to grow in holiness, we want that to happen, it will not happen apart from prayer. It won't. I don't know why it's such a hang-up for us. Uh, but I think God can like remove that from being this big obstacle. You know? I think stuff like 30 days of prayer is good because it gives you, gives you like something to read, like something to pray through, like something tangible to do. And you start to realize, like, oh, okay, I, I, I get this, I get this. We reconnect to what is true while we're letting go of lies. And, and prayer, it's, it solidifies. All, just all that faith and all that hope and all that love and it, it, it transforms us. Like he uses that to transform us and our lives like start to become more and more and more that life that we want, that abundant life that Jesus died for us to have. And those circumstances, they just, they become, like Paul said, light and momentary troubles. Light, momentary, like, well, it's, it's just whatever just money, just heartache, just a, I'm just I'm just in a valley right now, just a bad report from the doctor, just just this, it's just this, just whatever. Jesus loves me, knows me, died for me, secured my place at his table in his kingdom. What what's the world gonna do to me? So our, our challenge is, okay, well, are we going to, like I said last week, are we going to take advantage of the fact that the king of the universe says, once you boldly approach my throne of grace with confidence, um, so that you can find mercy, help in your time of need, are you going to take advantage of that, or are you going to be, be too cool and be like, no, I'm, I'm okay, I, I got this? It'll, it'll change you. changes the community, changes the current situation of what we're facing, it changes us, our perspective, our heart, our understanding of things, how we relate to I mean, it changes everything. I mean, what, a, what a gift that God has extended to us. If you can know me, talk to me, bring things to me, I'll respond every single time. So let's let's change the game, you know. That's that's what I keep thinking. It's like let's just change the circumstance. Let's go from being uh, either like completely prayerless or just kind of sporadic, you know, or whatever or whatever, like whatever it is. Let's just let's just change every single circumstance we can. Why wouldn't we? You know, why why wouldn't I? Why don't I? You know, this. Prayer should never be a source of guilt. But I think for every Christian, I think all of us have gone through seasons where we're like, like man, I'm just, I just don't pray enough. So every New Year's resolution involves praying more. But maybe we don't need to pray more. Maybe, maybe we just need to pray correctly. Maybe, maybe we need to pray deeply. You know? Maybe we need to, to pray with, with the right heart, 
the right understanding of how things work. Uh, I don't know. But prayer changes everything. I mean, the whole Bible, we see that as one of the themes. So, see what he has. Uh, let's, let's pray together as the band comes back up. Lord, uh, certainly in a room, you know, room like this, there's a lot of different ways to apply this stuff. I like to pray against any sort of any sort of spirit of like legalism or uh, or guilt or condemnation. Uh, things that that so often just kind of spring up whenever we talk about prayer and uh, abiding and those kinds of things. We, we don't want to have this incorrect sense of what prayer is. I mean, we, want to, we want to see it for what it is. And so um, when we think about you know, being changed, that inside-out kind of change, um, pray that's something that, that does drive us deeper. Um, pray that we would not... Um, we wouldn't see like changing the current circumstance as a way to try to manipulate you or all that, but that, that we would be pure and holy in our, in our desires to see the current situation change. That we would do so completely in submission to your sovereignty and your goodness at all times. But I know that you have something for us. And no matter why any of us are in this room tonight that you knew it'd be these songs and these scriptures and you knew all this is none of this is random so we want to we just want to hear you speak Here's what we're gonna do. Um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna walk you through those kind of those five things that we talked about, and uh, we're just gonna sit for a few minutes, and then we'll sing, and we'll go. Uh, so let's just just begin and um, just, just begin by telling telling God who He is, not that He's forgotten. Just tell Him tell Him what you love about Him. His attributes. Just anything about Him. Just tell Him what you love about Him. to tell him all the all the reasons that you have to trust him completely with your life. Just make a list of things he's done in your life, the lives of others, things from the scriptures, whatever. Uh, just 
make a list and tell it to me. of who he is in the light of what he's done just tell him what's going on with you right now again he, he already knows but just articulate that to him tell him something you're tell him what you're burdened by what you're confused about where you need direction or just whatever what are the circumstances right now that you want to bring to him exactly how you're feeling about those circumstances. If you're angry, if you're scared, if you're frustrated, if you're doubting, where are you emotionally in regard to those things? And just be honest with me. that out by just praying that same prayer that Jehoshaphat did and just say I have no idea what to do about that about my circumstances and how I'm feeling about it I don't know what to do but my eyes are on you and just just listen listening for your voice. We're waiting on you, trusting you. Maybe you're ready to to speak and lead us or maybe maybe we just need to wait. But regardless, we're, we're not trying to manipulate you. We trust you. 
trust you because of who you are and what you've done. So whatever you want to say regarding our circumstances or the things we need, how we're feeling about them, that's, that's your call. We will, we will be your faithful children who continue to ask and continue to trust and continue to worship regardless of, of anything. We ask that you change us. We ask that you respond however you see fit to us changing, this, literally changing the current situation just by praying tonight. However you respond, that's, you're the sovereign Lord of the universe. Just ask that you would change us and change our community through our just our adoration and our abiding in you. As we sing tonight, pray that you would, just like you did in that story, you would set ambushes on the lies and false ways of thinking and she would set ambushes on attack from the enemy appeals to our flesh you alone would be exalted